Thank you for joining us for our online Good Friday service. It's important for us to note every time we gather for Holy Week, this, this sacred week of the Christian faith and tradition, that we are not trying to actually create something new. We don't have to be creative during Good Friday and Easter weekend. We actually need to do something very old. We need to remember uh, the story, uh, the meaning, the significance of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Good Friday is actually a, a somber day where we reflect upon Christ's death, preparing us and directing us toward Easter three days later, where we celebrate Christ's resurrected life. But I'm going to tell you, as I do every year, the Good Friday story, a, a story that requires us to meditate and reflect upon the work, the death of Jesus, honing in on those hours surrounding his death and the giving up of his life for us. Before I do, let me pray. Father, help us on this Good Friday to reflect and meditate deeply on the death of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to listen again to the story that your gospels tell and that the rest of the Bible points to, to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Father, as we listen to the details of his sacrificial offering, help it to form us, to draw us into his sacrifice and his great love as we reflect on it as part of our own story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Thursday evening, Jesus was betrayed through the night on trial in question. And by early morning, he was taken to Pilate where he would be given his final examination before being sent to his death by the political meandering going on between the Jews who wanted to destroy the message and therefore the person of Jesus but also the political mandering between the Romans, who wanted to destroy the political tensions caused by Jesus. That is, between the authorities of Jerusalem and Rome, the whole world was declaring Jesus guilty. The normal procedure when an initial guilty verdict was declared was a public flogging, even before it was decided if he was to be killed. The moment there was any sense of guilt, he would be immediately flogged. Later, the full consequence to be decided. The term flogged is the normal term for punishment by whipping. It was a common form of punishment that was used in both Jewish and Roman legal systems, sometimes as a single consequence, like a judicial warning, flog them and let them be released, but often as a pre-execution flogging. Although the narrator in the Gospels does not explain the details of the flogging, the first century reader would have certainly been familiar with the general procedure. The actual flogging would have been extremely violent. It is likely that Jesus was stripped, tied to a post, or thrown to the ground and beaten with a tool called a flagella, leather whips to which were attached pieces of iron bone, or spikes, which would shred the skin of the individual, often leaving it hanging from the victim's back in strips. Unlike the 39 lashes maximum prescribed by Jewish law in Deuteronomy 25, the Romans did not limit the number of lashes. 
thus leaving the victim helpless to the cruelty of the supervising soldiers. The flogging would have been a public event which added shame and humiliation to the family alongside the physical pain itself. The flogging, according to the Gospels, was surrounded by abuse from the soldiers who were given great freedom in their abusive handling of the criminal. The theatrical parody that the Gospels describe in the actions of the soldiers comes to a climax when they came toward him, almost certainly one at a time, offering him mock homage as king, likely by kneeling before him, after which they would strike him in the face. Their statement of adoration, Hail, King of the Jews, emulates the kind of worship given to Caesar before whom worshipers would kneel and cry, Hail, Caesar. But rather than offering him a kiss of loyalty, they struck Jesus in the face, either with their hands or with rods, as Matthew 27 suggests. Almost certainly proud of their theatrical wit, the soldiers make Jesus a plaything, treating him as if he were a clown king. But these anonymous soldiers were unaware that one day they would perform this very act of kneeling, kneeling before Jesus and confessing with their tongues that he is Lord, Philippians 2. Once sentenced to death, the prisoner would play an active role in his own death, which was its own means of furthering abuse. The first was travel to the crucifixion site and the carrying of the cross, a formal act. A common practice in Roman crucifixion, the condemned criminal would normally be forced to carry his own petabellum, or the, the, the horizontal transverse beam or cross beam of the cross to the site of the execution where soldiers would attach it to the permanent upright stake that was regularly used for executions. The placement at the center was significant. The center was the place of greatest honor, or in this case, greatest shame, making Jesus the most visible to the massive crowd that had gathered for the Passover feast. The second aspect of the, of the, of the punishment of the criminal, in this case Jesus Christ, was the crucifixion itself. Roman crucifixion was familiar to the ancient world which partly explains the brevity of the gospel's account. Like they, they don't tell us much of the story because they assumed we would know it. While there were some standard procedures for the crucifixion, similar to the flogging, the executioners could perform their duties in a variety of manners, limited only by the extent of their sadistic creativity, writes one historian of crucifixion. Crucifixion for all people, Jews, Romans, and barbarians, was an utterly offensive affair, obscene in the original sense of the word. The whole point was the utmost indignity of the individual. The general procedure would look something like the following. The criminal would be flogged and then forced to carry his own crossbeam to the place of the execution, often whipped on the way, both, both of which were intended to torture the criminal before the crucifixion itself. If not already fully stripped, the criminal would have his clothing removed and confiscated, thus stripped of both possessions and honor. Then the criminal would normally be fastened to the cross with either ropes or nails through the wrist. In Roman crucifixion, the feet of the 
victim were often fastened to the cross as well. The nails were typically five to seven inches in length, long enough to penetrate both the flesh and bone, but, as, but also the wood of the cross to secure the body to it. The upright stake would have been no more than 10 feet high, which had in the middle a small wooden seat and near the top a groove to receive the crossbeam, thus leaving the criminal hanging just barely above the ground. Once placed on the cross, the body of the criminal was fully accessible to external conditions, with scores of flies attracted to the bodily wounds or animals assaulting the feet of the victim. The suffering would have caused severe bodily distortions, like the loss of bodily control and enlarged swelling parts of the body. The prisoner attached to the crossbeam would hang in this agonizing position until released by death, which usually came about through difficulty in breathing and stoppage of circulation, not so much through blood loss. The body of the victim was attached to the cross in a manner that facilitated prolonged suffering. If the criminal could lift himself up to get breath, he would survive longer than if the unsupported body was dead weight. But to lift oneself was designed to cause severe pain. It was almost as if the Romans had beautifully, horrifically designed a death that forced a person to choose excruciating pain or they're being crushed by their own body weight and unable to breathe. If death was slow in coming, the end was often hastened by means of clubbing, stabbing, or even poison. The normal Roman procedure was to leave the body on the cross until it rotted, but Jewish law demanded that the body of a hanged man had to be buried on the day of execution to prevent the land from being defiled, Deuteronomy 21. The execution served as a crude form of public entertainment with the crowds often ridiculing and mocking the victim. In this case, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in this moment, the place, in that sacred place, the flesh of Jesus was most clearly on display. The Word became flesh, the Gospel of John tells us. The man hanging on that cross was to the crowd standing around him and mocking him a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. But to the reader, to the listener, to the Christian, he was the Lamb of God. John 1.29, the Lamb who takes away the sins of of the world. According to the Gospels, according to Scripture, this was Jesus' exaltation. This was his lifting up. The cross displayed his royal mission. It was, in, it was here at the place of the skull that eternal life itself was provided by means of of the excruciating sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Did you know where we get the word excruciating? In, in, inside that root, the, the root of that word excruciating is the word crux. Crux means cross. Literally, excruciating comes 
from the image and the history of crucifixion. Excruciating crucifixion. In the Greco-Roman and Jewish world, the cross was the place and a universally recognized symbol of death. It was a place for weeping and mourning. Yet all of that changed when the Father sent his Son to the cross for the purpose of taking upon himself our required death. Jesus has replaced our grief with joy. This summarizes the gospel. The day Christ died is no longer bad, but Good Friday. Just as the cross is no longer a mere symbol of death, but now also a symbol of eternal life. The ironic claim of the Christian faith is that the cross, a symbol of and place of death, has given birth to new life, grounded in God through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, even watching online or in whatever group that you're with, would you just bow your heads for a moment? Jesus Christ was crucified on this day for you. Just take a moment and reflect upon that with God your Father. Jesus Christ died on this day for you. Jesus' death offers you a share in his life. We know that Easter tells the full story of this sacred moment and this holy week, but don't leave Good Friday too soon. In that excruciating moment of the death of Jesus, your life was placed on his back as a debt. That is the gospel truth that you acknowledge and reflect upon today. Take a moment before I close us with God in the privacy of your own heart to reflect upon that. Father, we have no words that can offer enough thanks and gratitude. We have no emotions that can reach the depth of what was given and sacrificed for us on this day 2,000 years ago. We acknowledge that this is grace. We see that this is love. And help us to live in the shadow and the light of the cross for the rest of our lives. To pick up our cross daily, which is a reflection of living in Christ and living out the gospel. Father, thank you that Easter is coming. But thank you also for Good Friday. Mother, may this significant story of the death of Jesus change our lives. Help us never to forget it, to celebrate it annually, and to live it daily. Thank you, Father, for the sacrificial gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.